Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Disney executives. Why go with quality when you can have quantity? Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Fulu, the world's fourth most popular streaming service, streaming all the shows your friends have never heard of. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. <laughs> and we are filmmakers. We uh, work a lot behind the camera, sometimes in front of the camera. And we use all of that knowledge to look at a film, break it apart, see why it works the way it does, if it works at all. And it's always fun to use our knowledge as a way of uh, looking at and analyzing movie just because I feel like we get critics who don't know anything about film production um, in the normal world. And it's fine, which is fine. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, it's it's people who are good at analyzing stories and um, who are just film fans, you know, have a lot to say. And I think uh, they're the reason we make anything at all. Um, but it's also really nice to think about these things from another perspective. Um, and I think it's just more insightful and, and interesting to some degree or another. Um, and with that in mind, uh, today we have a guest on the show um sergio uh trejos um hey, hey, hey and you work in your he's a sound engineer uh he does a lot uh behind the camera i don't think you do a lot in front of the camera um but no, I know but you, this is my first camera appearance in my life so. <laughs> and our hair and makeup artist is uh, uh on on hand to give you all your final yeah. looks um and yeah. and pretty you up for everything so what is your role what's your favorite role um, whenever you're working in on production? So I, um, I I do everything, I guess, from location sound all the way to sound design and mixing, kind of like throughout the process of a, of a commercial product or, or film. I enjoy both, I got to say. I think my emphasis right now is uh, sound design and the post. There's something about having that space to to think about the, the the creative part of the film and to work with the director and see what their vision is for this and you know kind of like modulate whatever you want to go with sound this way or another i enjoy that part of it location sound is is fun just um in my case to work with people in general the crews you know is, is, is a good experience and also to troubleshoot a lot you know the, the moment is there and there's a problem you have to fix it right then mm -hmm. and there that's enjoyable too, but I think I would go for the post side of things in my in my case. Do you ever? I have a question. So let, let's say you're on a, a larger set, right? And you know you've got the you've got the cans on. You know what things sound like, and there's like a little buzz that you hear, but nobody else hears. Do you ever feel a little bit like you're you're slowing down everything because you have to stop everyone because Every you. Day. Yeah, <laughs> I just imagine all, like I've, yeah. I've been on sets where it's like everything seems totally fine, but the sound guy is the one who's saying, nope, we got to wait, you know, and there's, it's there's it's funny because yeah. I feel yeah. like you're the only other person on set besides the director, probably that could do that. And and that's OK. Right. Everybody else is like, no, you got to do what the director says. But, you you know, you as the sound person say, no, no, we need to wait for this. I hear a car two miles away. You know, or something like that. We're gonna wait ten minutes for this car to get here. You know? I know, no, it's, it's totally like that. Like, it, and every set is different too. Like, some some ads and some directors want to look like for me. They tell me just interrupt it, and I don't want to waste time. We'll take it from the start, or they just want to, you know, let the whole thing record the whole take, and then 
let them know and then okay we'll we'll redo it for sound that time because sometimes it's salvageable that's the thing with with technology it's it's also becoming a gray area now like we used to record tone or room tone after every single scene before before we switched camera angles right that was crucial and to an extent it's still an important thing to do right now but not as much it's just because now we have so many tools in post to get to extract good room tone out of other takes Depending on the circumstance, if you give us enough time, we can just extract that and then use that. And a lot of editors are doing that now. So it becomes that. And then we usually don't <laughs> broadcast that much, that information, just because we don't want to be in that position of like, well, you know, now it's everything in post and let's roll ahead. Like we try to keep it rolling pretty pretty much every time to to get the perfect take. But there's now some leeway, which is a good thing, I think. I mean, it's there's ways now to enhance speech and like you know, to get laughs laughs get like better by the day also like um still nothing like a boom sound and you know that's why we kind of emphasize always that that good boom in a shot but um, now why and i don't why, know how how specific you want me to be with like terminology here or not <laughs> like well i was I'm just gonna ask you actually like yeah. um you know because we talk about booms and laughs and stuff and do you prefer one over the other and and why would you say that you prefer that one? I do. I, pre- I prefer the boom almost like probably 90% of the time. The sound is just way more, like, it's just natural. Um, it, it gets also, I like more air. The the whole, it sounds natural just because it, it captures kind of like what you are listening to if you were talking to me in person, right? Mm-hmm. So the love is just, it's is very close to you and it has these frequencies that it enhances that is not as natural sounding. But in some circumstances, it's all you have, and you have to make it work with with what you have, and that's that's mm-hmm. what it is, and and that's fine too. I mean, as long as you can understand what the the actor is saying, um, that's the Be- main thing, right? But because I assume there's some shots where you're in a wide, and mm-hmm. the boom has to be ten feet away. Uh, mm-hmm. At a certain point, quality just picks up uh, much nicer on the lav than than the boom. I, which I don't know. I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion on, are there some boom mics that are still going to just be 10 times better uh, in that kind of scenario? Or is there just a diminishing return no matter what kind of gear you have access to? I think there's definitely booms that have a very, uh, uh, like a rejection zone that is wider than others and everything like that. They reach a little longer, whatever. But if you're talking that, like, in a wide, as soon as you go that high, it really doesn't matter what boom you have. If you're in a, in a wide shot with that amount of headroom, mm-hmm. the live is going to be your only way to go. And that's when ADR comes in. That's when if your live doesn't pick up, you know, a good sound or there's a lot of clothing, depending on the wardrobe, like, it could be hell, really, and unusable. Um, and in that case, then the actor will go in and, and redo their lines and do that but some some directors are very opposed to that too because they lose the performance quality of this and this is a good example actually the Revan, because they used i think like 90 percent of the location sound the boom operator was amazing and the sound mixer um and they got like great recordings and the only times that they so they there was a problem with um sorry the bad guy's name what's his name again oh fitzgerald Fitzgerald, right? He kind of mumbles in the in 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 the in the in the scenes, and it, in some scenes it's hard to understand him. And that was just a call that the director 
made on the network keeping that like i kind of like that rawness of it and then and that's what you hear in the movie like there was no pre-dubs on that the only thing i think they pre-dubbed was um or they uh looped was um like the indian dialogue mm. because some of the takes on set were uh, they weren't as accurate as they wanted it to be and and he was very specific i want these lines to be completely accurate so they got like culture consultants and stuff like that to be um in there and and manage that so they looped that part but for the most part i hear it was it was um done just just with the location sound which is amazing like it's it's a, it's a really good well job. and so sometimes i guess it could can be uh like an, an artistic call right like mm. like not to talk about another movie but like that that scene in once where we were across the street and he's playing like i guarantee that's not a lot of we're hearing you know we're hearing the the sound of the street we're hearing the echo of the of him singing and it bouncing off the wall behind us and coming back like and then as we get closer it gets louder right Absolutely. like we feel like we're walking you know yeah they play with a perspective right that's what you're saying they right, with, yeah. with a camera perspective so it doesn't make sense that you're going to hear that person up close if the shot is really that wide and they're across the street or they're you know far in the forest and that happened in this movie too like there was a an example I was reading about there where the sound mixer was explaining how how watching his because usually on set there's um there's a sound mixer with a on their cart basically just mixing all the all the sources the audio sources of lavaliers and booms but then you have a boom or multiple boom operators out there just just trying to get that uh that boom in the in the shot and get the lines but he de- he described it as a ballet as a ballet a dance basically watching him interact with the camera operator because there was a lot of walking shots and it was in the forest and there were like trees. So sometimes like the guy would go behind him and then open up here and then come down here and then boom from under and then boom from up. And it was just like a dance, a complete dance. And it was beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was amazing. But to you, what you were many- saying, it was the perspective. Sorry, really quick. The, the perspective yeah. was if the camera was on a wide, cause they use a lot of really wide shots, then it was okay for the boom to be that up high. Cause it was the natural sound of that dialogue from that distance. And as we would, go closer into the face of the character then he could just go down with the camera and sometimes that works i mean can you imagine like all the stuff I had to wear can you imagine the 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 horror of like stopping clothing from rubbing on a lavalier like this is impossible <laughs> no way i, I, I would have man i would have paid anything to be on not to be on this set because i heard it was <laughs> a nightmare but to to watch to like you mm. know watch from the the comfort of like a trailer like through the window or something like <laughs> the that. campfire like exactly i'll be sitting at the campfire you know like back here wa- watching the dance that had to be amazing wow. nice with that in mind let's uh let's get into it todd what are we covering today yeah so today we are covering the revenant uh so if you haven't seen this film please pause this episode and go watch it because we are going to spoil a bunch of stuff a bunch. We'll definitely do a deep dive into the cinematography and immersive storytelling, uh, as well as get more from our guest, Sergio. And stay tuned for the end of the, the session, because we're going to take a listen to a new Mad Valley track. Uh, that's Todd's band, and we're releasing a new one today, so very excited about that. We'll be covering all of that and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film, a frontiersman on a fur trading expedition in the 1820s fights for survival after being mutilated, uh, mauled by a bear and left for dead by members of his own hunting team. It's directed by Alejandro Iñárritu. Uh, it's screenplay by Mark L. Smith and Alejandra, Alejandro Iñárritu. 
Uh, it's cinematography by Emmanuel Chivo Lubezki, featuring Leonardo DiCaprio as Glass, Tom Hardy as Fitzgerald, uh, Domnall Gleason as Captain, Will Poulter as Bridger, and Forrest Goodluck as Hawk. Get me the hell out of this godforsaken place. Are you doing that to you? I'm just asking. Yeah, they done it. They took their sweet time with it, too. To start, I didn't feel nothing. I just heard the sound of knives scraping against my skull. And uh, them all laughing and whooping and hollering and whatnot. And the blood came and cold started streaming down my face and my eyes and breathing it in, choking on it. That's when I felt it. I felt all of it. I got my head turned inside out. Jesus. Yeah, them engines down Texas way. You know, they may rob you, ain't gonna take your top knot. When was it? I did. Would you just uh, will you quit that noise now, will you? Just quit it. Man, um, Tom Hardy's performance in this thing, man, is unbelievable. Like, I know Leo got the statue and everything, and that's a career-earning moment and, and payoff, really. But for me, Tom Hardy was the one to watch in this whole movie. Um, just the way he throws away his lines. He doesn't, you know, really punch anything in particular. He's just kind of all matter of fact and just throws it all away, you know. So let's start with Todd, man. What a it's been probably for me since I since the theater since I saw this. And there's a lot that I forgot. How was uh returning to this thing uh for you? What what do you make of the revenant, man? Uh, I mean, it's a masterpiece. It's like I can tell it was a labor of love. I can tell mm -hmm. that Alejandro like was on a mission when he set out to make this movie. You heard that, you know, uh, the sets were hard and people were quitting and and all that stuff. I think that's the point. I, I think that having like a like a set where everyone's comfortable is missing the whole point. Right. And mm. I'm not saying that you need to, <clears throat> you know, if you're shooting something that is supposed to be in a difficult setting that you have to make everybody uncomfortable all the time. But I think it, it probably helped <laughs> honestly in, in a way. I mean, I don't know all of the stories, but I'm just saying like being uncomfortable in for a film like this, especially like for the actors, mm -hmm. you know, I would say is, was probably important. That's just how life was back then. I mean, everything was uncomfortable. Um, and, and the way that this movie felt was that any time there was a re reprieve for a character, whether, you know, they're, they're able to take a bath or something, I felt a reprieve. Like, I felt all of the stuff that the characters were feeling. Uh, I mean, obviously not to the extent, but I felt the how uncomfortable it was. And I think because probably the the actors were uncomfortable, but also the way that they shot this felt like like we were there you know when when leo was cutting open the horse and his hands were shaking as he was about to get inside the horse you know like i felt 
I mean, the camera was right there on him. And I felt like very much in that moment. And then when he woke up inside the horse and he was trying to get out and he was opening up the the cavity of the horse and and as he gra- grabbed the top part of it, the ice kind of melted and it was dripping this nastiness as he's trying to open the the horse. I, I mean, all of it felt very visceral and and you felt present there. And yes, Tom Hardy, hands down. I mean, you know, he's not there. That's not Tom Hardy. Mm. That and in in fact, in, in a couple of his roles, I mean, we're both huge Tom Hardy fans. Yeah. We've talked about this for years now, you know. But in a couple of his roles, it's been amazing how like I didn't even know that it was him. A little bit sometimes he's an inception i didn't know that i saw it like twice and i didn't realize that that was him you know and this is another one of those roles where it's it's i don't see tom hardy at all i don't hear him i in his mannerisms the way he walks like nothing it's perfect casting um and leo is otherworldly absolutely deserving of the statue and and i'm so glad that he got it i just I loved I loved the movie and it's also hard to watch, especially what um, when Fitzgerald kills uh, his boy, kills Hawk and and you're just you're gutted, you know, but I think that especially a story like this is necessary because it's not like it's not enough for Glass to want so badly to kill Fitzgerald because Fitzgerald left him. He like he needs to have more of a reason to survive than just to get, you know, to get Fitzgerald because he left him. Having Fitzgerald kill his son is kind of necessary in order to get for him to go through what he went through in order to get back to Fitzgerald. And I, and so when I saw that, because I forgot that he, that Fitzgerald killed Hawk, uh, <laughs> you know, because I think the last time I saw it was in the theater too. Mm-hmm. And when I, that happened, I I was so upset. I mean, I had a visceral reaction, of, like an internal reaction myself when that happened. So I'm I'm sitting here rooting for Glass, and I'm I'm, you know, when he's when he's beat up and he it looks like he can't get up. I'm like, go, keep going, keep going, keep going. And for anybody who's done anything really difficult, whether that's physical or or that even if it's just mental where you don't want to get up in the morning and you get up anyway, I mean, that is, imagine that being your existence for, I mean, he had to be traveling for weeks, right? I mean, like, you know, we're watching this film and it happens in a couple of hours, but I mean, his, his wounds kind of heal. I mean, you know, can imagine how long he spent out there in the wilderness trying to get back. I mean, I know it's, it's based on a true story. I just don't know how much of the the truth uh, is there, but yeah, it's an absolute majesty of a of a film in all the ways. Ooh. Um yeah, I didn't realize this had any basis in reality. So oh yeah, oh Ooh. yeah, wow, yeah, a lot of it was was based. I mean, I don't think that the Fitzgerald uh, um, part was, but mm. uh, he was definitely a real person was really mauled by a bear had to drag himself to survival uh, to to civilization all that stuff damn yeah um wow okay surge what uh, i assume you saw this when it came out as well yeah same deal, like, like from theaters to yeah. 
two days ago. Dang. So is this like annual TV, you know, holiday watching for you? Like, uh, <laughs> Oh yeah. I watch it with my two year old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, it was, it's, I mean, I, I basically agree with uh, a lot of what Todd was saying. The, the first thing, <laughs> it was also 9.30 in the morning. I think I told you this. Yeah. Um, it's like, what are you doing whatever. to yourself? <laughs> but I wanted the house for myself and to like be able to play it loud, no distractions, the whole thing. So I wasn't expecting that whole uh, battle in the beginning. But one, it's probably my or one of my favorite opening sequences in movies that, that I've seen in a while. It's just... It got me right there. Like in, in two minutes, I was completely immersed in the film. Like I didn't want to go anywhere. Like I, it was not like a slow progression into like, okay, what are we watching? It's, it, it was really cool to see that. And, to, and sound was a, a major thing for me on that because it starts pretty quiet. It starts really... There's, so I guess from, from the sound perspective too, it's just very spaced out and very he let it breathe a lot, you know, mm. like there was a lot of space in the, in the dialogue and the sound effects in the music. There's, a, there's honestly not a lot of music in, in, in that movie. And it was obviously done on purpose, but they let the environment just dictate what you could feel as opposed to leaning on the music. Usually the music tells us a lot of what the emotion should be. But in this movie it was just truly like it, when he was getting dragged by the river, you just hear the river, like, all around you and it was just terrifying and it was just the river and the same with the bear scene like there was no music there that we could hear just his screams and the bear breathing and whatnot that completely just like took you in and immersed you in the movie which was fascinating it was it was just a great movie to watch on that end dang what um was there any other like sound design aspects that uh popped out at you throughout the film yeah i think there were some some themes that i picked up like I don't know if there was some purpose or not, but there was this uh, flashbacks with the sun. Mm -hmm. And um, there's this whoosh type of sound, but it sounds like an ultrasound, you know, when when you hear the heartbeat of a baby. Kind of like that. that And it's always there. Every time he talks about the sun uh, or he has these flashbacks or, you know, anything important that happens with between them both is always there, that sound at a different rhythm, but it's there. And you can tell he's just, just present. And I don't know, I, I thought it sounded like an ultrasound, but it may be something else, I don't know. Uh, but it was, it was, it was cool, cool to just hear that. And uh, the bear scene was amazing, the amount of detail that went into that. Soundwise, for example, I know Randy Tom is the sound designer for this, or the, the, the guy that uh, led the sound design team. So they had 50 recordings or so for the bear, just regular library recordings that he had to, to play with. And it was fine. They went with uh, the aggressive approach first, a lot of growling, you know, make it massive. Then the director was, well, let's tame it a little bit, dial it back. So it became more a lot of breathing and DiCaprio screams and then some grunts here and there with the bear, but not a lot. And it worked. But then the problem was when he was hurt, when the bear got hurt, they didn't have any recordings for like a wounded bear. So all he had was a wounded horse was the closest he could get, for example, for that. Um, so it's interesting the way that they matched it because it didn't sound the same. It was like every fourth breath or so, they would introduce a horse breath during the whole thing. And they would slowly creep up until when it was time for the actual wounded bear. Like all you heard was the horse and not the bear. 
but it just takes us like gradually there so it doesn't like jump out at you and it was it was a very technical thing to do but it was it was just great to hear like the amount of detail that goes into just one single thing like that you know wow yeah i never ever would have picked up on that <laughs> and how you get that's cool like they don't have everything no. right even a even a film like this that just i love stuff like that man because even a film like this this multi-million dollars has like you know the best actress in the world in it the one of the best directors they don't have everything they have to they also have to make do with some stuff right oh they don't have wounded bear okay well we have a wounded horse. Okay, how can we make that work? Anytime you have a multi-million dollar film and they're saying, okay, how can we make that work? That just goes to show you you're never going to have have everything that you need and you're going to have to make concessions. And sometimes it doesn't matter. Mm. You know, like I would never have guessed it would be that it was a wounded horse that I was hearing. Right. You know, yeah. because I don't know what a wounded bear sounds like right. partially, you know, I'm not yeah. sitting here saying, nah, I no, the last time I fought a, and killed a bear, it sounded totally different than that. But you could tell the difference, though. Like, if they, I think the, the, the point of the sound designer in that was that uh, if they had just transitioned immediately, mm. oh, now he's wounded, let's go to the horse, then that would have jumped out. Mm. So they had to manage a way to, like, introduce it in a way that, you know, the, the viewer wasn't distracted at all and just believed it. Gotcha. Damn. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Wow. Yep. For me, this thing, man, I really forgot how violent and brutal it was. Like I remembered all the, the feeling of him trying to survive all that still before I hit play was there. The motivation wasn't clear. I couldn't remember why he was going to go and kill uh, Fitzgerald. I do. I just remembered that, but hitting play in that opening scene, like Sergio was talking about, hits and that arrow hits that guy's throat i was like oh oh that's right this is that this is what we're doing today yeah and it's just visceral um in that whole little sequence before the big raid even happens uh i thought was actually pretty cool seeing all these gun carrying men hiding from you know uh arrow bow and arrows I thought that was really cool because it kind of shows the destructive power of an arrow um, and how visceral it is in the hands of, you know, someone who's skilled. And you're like, hindsight, we always think about how, you know, once guns came along, bows and arrows got like just destroyed. And I'm sure to some degree that's true. Um, but there's still plenty to be done if if you're if you're shooting arrows at someone. Yeah. So that well, and also little- this was they had to reload. You yeah, know, every true. time you were like shot. single shots. <laughs> so yeah. oh, it takes a while. Um, and so, yeah, that whole sequence definitely melted me pretty good. I was just floored. Yeah. But the rest of it, I it's two and a half and it it does need to be two and a half. I think it's the kind of thing where you could err on the side of tightening it up and lose the believability and the groundedness of it. Because, oh, we can trim 45 minutes off this and still get 80% of the emotional integrity there. And you can still kind of tell the story of this guy. But you ride a fine line. You really need to feel how desperate Glass is to get back to survive. All those little moments of survival. Like we see him eat several times. um, And that's because you kind of have to keep eating. I feel like most movies would show someone getting food once. And say, okay, we've covered that ground. Now let's get them back to the village. Um, and then you're just kind of there. 
Uh, instead, this was like, no, he's every moment is a, you know, gasp for, for breath. Survival is right there on the edge of death. Uh, and, and so the, the time is really important. It takes a lot of time to, to make you feel that all of it, uh, the necessity for survival, as well as, you know, the success of making those moments work. Yeah, I'm glad this ended up, you know, with the runtime it did. It does make it harder to want to revisit it along with other aspects of the film. Like, I don't know that I was ever going to watch this again if, you know, if we didn't cover it. But I'm glad I did. Now I'm going to go back to I'm probably never watching this again, even though I bought it. <laughs> and and that's okay with me. Uh, if anything, I might scrub through it for like compositional elements, lighting elements, and maybe just sequences because it's really, really hard to stay this wide, this much, and get coverage in a scene. Like part of you know shooting a scene uh, in multiple takes, which they do. This feels like a bunch of oneers, and it's not. Um, there's plenty of sequences where you know they're intercutting and making that work in wide angles uh, takes a lot of talent and skill to think about. Not just how do I make sure everything is fluid and you're grounding the audience, but also without ever making it feel jumpy. Yeah. There's a lot of skill and talent that, you know, between Chivo and, and, and Yuritu that goes into all of that. And so I can, that would probably be the extent of me wanting to revisit this. Uh, if I never see a DiCaprio wrestle another bear, I will be the better for it. Um, because obviously that's a CG bear and they do such an incredible job of, of the buy-in. And a lot of it, I think probably comes through the sound design, but the other part of it is not breaking the, uh, the cut, having that as a wonder plays in so strongly because if you start cutting away, you can start kind of tipping your hat to the audience. Like, Oh, this is, that's how they managed to make this on budget or uh, uh, change the lighting a little bit or whatever. Um, they inserted a, a fur thing for a grab of his hand. Right. And no, like keeping it all in frame, one long take, you forget that this is a, a CG element. And instead you're just thinking about this guy's dead, dead. Like there is no coming back. Yeah. I was really on the edge of my seat, you know, the entire time. I, I definitely had to look away a handful of times just because I, I'm good. I'm good on, on all that. Um, let alone the final attack sequence, which I think there's a lot of crossover between the bear sequence and the final, uh, revenge sequence with Fitz that I think they're very, very tightly interlocked. Um, a lot of similarities because when glass comes across the bear, he's inadvertently coming between a bear and her cubs, right? And he gets mauled for it. And that's similar. Um, although Fitzgerald did it with much more intention. I don't think he set out though to kill Hawk, right? That wasn't what he wanted to do. Um, he was just trying to get home and his best way of doing that was taking care of glass to, in the worst way. Like he's not a good guy. No one's making that argument, but he came between uh, a man and his son and he paid the price for that too. Um, and then the bear attack, you know, is just brutal. It's unending and glass. What's interesting about that bear sequence is he kind of survives two attacks. There's that first initial attack and 
you're like, God, okay, it's over. And we get almost a sense of relief. Like, okay, the, the bear attack is over. He's okay. Like he's still moving. It's going to, everything's going to be fine. Um, and then, you know, he, he kind of hides a little bit with the gun waiting for a moment to pop a shot off, um, shoots it. And then the bear gets really mad before it was just kind of mad. <laughs> now you're like, Oh, it's really upset now. Um, and it mauls him. And of course, glass pulls his knife, um, stabs him to death. And that's that. It's interesting too, because after that first little attack, the bear kind of stands on his head, which really looked uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, if you're glass, uh, but he, he breathes into the lens, right? He fogs the lens with, uh, his breath. And that's, very visceral and and human right uh alive i should say but a similar thing happens with glass after hawk is is killed right and he's buried and hawk uh, glass goes over to him and pulls him up holds him he fogs up the glass as well um and that's kind of his moment of like gathering himself and then of course you get into the the knife the attack itself there's a lot of similarities between the way that bear attack went down and how it's some somewhat emulated and the the back and forth between uh Fitzgerald and Glass himself and so that's just like unbelievable um and and telling uh in a lot of ways and I'll come back to to some of the revenge aspects as well but I want to come back to Surge was there was there any in anything in that final sequence um with with Fitz that you picked up on the, the final one, battle on the river yeah dude it was a uh, yeah it, it was I noticed that part of it was the music was present, but it was so uh, contrasting to what was happening. Like the, the battle was, you know, heavy of action. It was just a, a proper knife fight. And the whole thing was just full of uh, punches and grunts and the whole thing. And then there was just drums, but it was like, boom. And then it would like three seconds. And then the next hit. And it was just really slow tempo music, but for for it just worked. Like it had me just like this, kind of like what you were saying. Like it, it, the tension was just there, but it was one of those instances that it was doing the complete opposite of what was happening on screen. You know, I don't mm. know. It was interesting for that. Yeah, I noticed that a, a lot of that was. I mean, the times that I noticed it the most was when we had like these massive wides. There's just that one, I guess, famous, really famous shot of like you call it famous it's a drone shot from way back far and he's walking through a valley mm. and it's covered in snow but it's mm. it's way far and then he slowly kind of flies in to him and then flies around him and and while he well, flies next to him while he's walking but i noticed it there too where you have this the i don't know if it's horns or what but it just goes you know and then there's silence and then and it's it's perfect and I don't, I can't even tell you why it's just a, yes, it's ominous, but it's not. And it's like, you know, kind of, it's serious, but at the same time, it just kind of is, it doesn't really tell you too much. It doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't tell you how to feel. It just kind of gives you a setting. It kind of sets the tone. It sets a tone. Sure. But it's kind of like nature in that nature isn't evil, it just is. And the bear wasn't evil because it attacked him. It was trying to protect its cubs. And nature isn't evil because it's hard to survive in it. It just is. And 
that's kind of what that moment at least felt like uh, when I noticed that. And then and and that's kind of like later on in the film. I don't know. It's like three quarters of the way, maybe even like four fifths of the way. And and then from then on out, I was like, oh, wow, I should be listening to the music. <laughs> like, I haven't even listened to that very much. But so, that's yeah. the thing. Like, there was not a lot like they they put the music under nature. Basically, they wanted nature to actually be more of a presence than the music. Like yeah. the, the music never overpowered uh, yeah. the sound elements of, of whatever they were in. So that's why we don't notice it as much either, you know? Like, yeah. it was more of a, the, yeah, they let you feel what they were feeling, like you were saying. Like, you completely feel the, the, the forest and the wind and the ice and the cold and the, everything. And to y'all's point, that opening shot, like, does it really well where, where you just hear the water. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't hear any music. You just hear the water. And you don't really know where you are or what you're looking at. Am I looking at a deep river? You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That's what I thought. And then I see these feet walking through. I'm like, oh, no, this is a shallow pool. And then and then you look up and you see these trees in the water and you're thinking, where the hell are we? What is going on? And you realize they're hunting. But how does a location scout find this? It's a river with trees in the river. Like, I don't know. It was just unbelievable. And that set the tone for, oh. There's going to be some really special stuff that we're going to see in this film that probably, you know, we'll never see in another film again. Like, and it was just, it was a, 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 cra- a really amazing display of loving your craft and having a vision and not settling for anything less than what your vision is. That's what I felt. I felt like this making this movie was like, I mean, not to the extent, but was like glass surviving. It was, mm. it, it was a, probably a constant war of, yes, that could work, but this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm hearing. This is what will tell a better story kind of thing. I don't know. Do you agree, Wes? Yeah, man. Like the cinematography really is on full display here to capture everything y'all are both talking about, the, the majestic aspect of nature. Um, and they do that, of course, through a lot of wide angles, Right. But when you do that, it also means you have a a lot of background to fill up. And so if you want to shoot on a wide angle, you need to make sure you're capitalizing on that. Not just that you have a reason, but that you fulfill that reason. Um, And here, if you're going to be in nature like this is you need to make sure that the scenery is really paying off such wide angles um, as as well as a lot of the blocking. Right. If you're going to have, you know, 20, 30 uh, actors on set giving them all something to do, making sure the scene comes together in a cohesive way that's telling the story um, while looking visually pleasant. And it's just masterful. And of course, whenever you have those wide angles and you couple it with these really long, slow shots, it creates a sense of immersion and a sense of reality. Like the the opening scene that you know we're, we're, we've been talking about, it really takes its time and doing that has a lot of payoff because now you can, you know, really settle into a scene and allow things to come to you. And um, you can start to take the, 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 the gauge of everyone's emotions. And, and it's interesting, like there's that moment uh, later in the film when, when glass is discovered on the shore, right? He's, he's barely just trying to survive still um, get, getting his body back to working again. Um, and, he's there on the on the shore and we're kind of 
panning around, tilting up, looking at everything that's happening. Like every time you move the camera, you need to be seeing something. Um, and luckily, whenever you're that wide, it doesn't take that long to go from, you know, one direction to the polar opposite direction. Uh, it's, it's just covering so much ground. Um, and so the blocking becomes really important there. But the other thing is that it also means the way you move in and out of the frame becomes really, really uh, important depending on what you're trying to communicate uh, emotionally to the viewer. Because in that scene, whenever he's discovered, right, he's hiding and he's like, oh my God, they're going to find me any second. And of course the guy does. And then he starts trying to swim away. That's a really tricky shot. And I'm sure they had to debate a little bit of how do we best execute this little moment, this tiny little five second moment, because for the the final edit, of course, he's in that wide camera camera angle and we let him exit the frame flowing down river. Um, and it feels like he's flying away and escaping. And thankfully, that's what a wide angle lets you do. Like you become small in the frame very, very quickly. And so if you had done the opposite, if you had stayed with him, maybe it would have worked or maybe it would have felt like he's trapped in the frame and that he's going to get caught. And now we just don't feel like he's moving fast enough uh, because maybe the river itself isn't moving fast enough to make it feel like we're whipping by it. Uh, and so letting him exit the frame, suddenly he's just gone in a heartbeat and we believe, oh yeah, yeah, he's gone. They're not going to catch him. Uh, but whenever you've seen the destructive power of this group, this, uh, the, the re you need to believe that he can get away because those guys are sharpshooters and they're ruthless. Like they're, they're there to accomplish a mission. Um, and so you need to make sure you have the emotional buy-in of the audience. Um, and it's just tricky when you're dealing with such wide angles. The other tricky thing of course is lighting. Like where do you hide your gear whenever you're constantly moving the camera around seeing, you know, 180 degrees, maybe not quite that drastic, but I mean, you're seeing a lot, uh, pretty close, probably 120, um, and so the time of day and even the time of year can be important, um, depending on if you want really soft lighting, right at golden hour. And then maybe you're you dealing also with shot with natural light, right? Wes? Like that's what a I lot. Remember. Mostly. I don't think the campfires, uh, were, were available lighting. I feel like that was probably some added lighting, but most of, if not all of the daytimes were natural light, the available light from the sun, and then shaping yeah. that with big bounces, right? Uh, especially for these backlit shots when the sun is out um, mm. and you, you know, you have him at the river and he's whatever fishing around or stuff and you, the sun's right behind him. You're going to need some nice big fill uh, bounce cards to, to fill in all that light or else we're just not going to read any of his emotion or on those overcast days, right? Probably a lot of neg fill. So you, you bring up this big black canvas, right. And, and block out some of the light bouncing back in. Personally, I hate shooting on overcast days. Uh, it, it flattens everything and it removes your sky. So you have no sense of day or, or depth, uh, in your frame. Everything just starts to get a little washed out and then it blinds your actors. Um, overcast days, it's just one big soft box in the sky. And so the light's coming from everywhere and you can't open your eyes which is funny because you would think the sun out blasting into your eyes is worse. And it's not, it's really, really not. Um, that's what, you know, our, our little flippy things on the end of our eyelids are for. <laughs> it's like, it blocks that <laughs> stuff out. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I, I really hate shooting on overcast days. Personally, I love hard lighting from the sun and then you can shape that however you like, but that also probably meant because of the way they're shooting 
and and the frame with the the types of ways of ship, uh, shaping the light you probably have a lot of crew out there hollywooding the gear just you know moving around that's probably part of the ballet too uh, of shooting this thing um, i would imagine i forgot to look at bts and i remember there was a lot of bts when this came out but i can't really remember any of those setups um, i'm sure there's plenty of scenes where they're just shooting and there's nothing to do because you're shooting mm-hmm. at 6 a.m and the light is the light um, but there's probably a lot of also times of, okay, we have a nice, somewhat controlled scene. Let's bring in some big frames, you know, some 12 by 12s and, and diffuse some of this stuff. I remember you're totally right about the, the campfires. I, I saw some, it? yeah, I saw some, uh, behind the scenes where they talked about like, like they, they tried and they wanted to do all natural lighting, including the campfires, but it was too flickery. And it was distracting on like Tom Hardy's face, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. when he was sitting by the campfire with what's his name, telling that story yeah. about the, the squirrel and God. And so they, they actually, they used a, like some other lighting. So, Ooh. but for the most part, they, they tried to, but they couldn't. It's hard and you really got to be committed. It works like shooting campfire one. You need the, the, the camera sensor to pull it off um, or just a big enough fire, right? Uh, something like uh, days of heaven, probably works where they shot so many days just at at sunrise and sunset golden hour um and then i'm almost positive they shot like all their these fire scenes uh naturally but otherwise you yeah you just need a little extra lighting make it a little softer take off that flicker and it was just too even that was what pulled me out i was like there's no way they shot this with pure campfire it's just way too even way too soft and and beautiful <laughs> uh for that level of flame anyway um yeah and so that makes sense thank you for saying that the other thing that caught me cinematography wise was how so many camera moves are unmotivated and it's almost dock-like but i think that adds to the sense of immersion whenever you feel like you're there your presence um and it's more more than just we're tracking things as they're happening in the frame instead it's like someone is walking around looking at things and that adds a weird i could never shoot that way personally i hate shooting that way i love making sure if the camera moves it's because there's something making it move instead of the camera's just going to move in order to show you this other thing um i really try to avoid that where i can but this is just chock full of it like every scene almost uh the camera's just like and now you're going to look down and watch the sun die, you piece of shit. <laughs> I'm like, no, <laughs> you're not my real dad. Like, it's just, it's just constantly like forcing you to watch things that you don't want to watch. Um, and that adds another level of immersion that uh, isn't obvious, you know, whenever you're thinking about starting your, your discussions about how are we going to shoot this? But that's what Chivo does. Chivo if you look through his catalog, I mean, we've done a lot of his films, um, Children of Men and Gravity, chief among them. Like, he is just a master. I don't know how many other people are on his level. Obviously, you got to talk about Deacons, but the, he's just in a class of his own. Um, and and having someone like him on this film, I can imagine Inuritu is like, we don't make this without him. We wait. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh, he's got another project? We wait. We're going to make sure we get this guy because there's no one else you want to trust uh, with this kind of storytelling. But overall, it just really does. It captures the beauty, the brutality 
of the natural world. Um, these beautiful landscapes that are absolutely harsh to survive in. And that's a lot of this story is just, yeah, it's survival, but for what? And I think that's why they added the Fitzgerald element to Glass's story is you need to give this guy some heartbeat, some reason for living because yes, I think in a book you could really capture the, the will to survive on the page, but capturing the will to survive without it. I, we've probably just seen that enough already giving this guy another emotional reason uh, to push through makes it seem a little bit clearer for us, especially whenever you're, you're trying to wrap around this whole idea of revenge as a, as a basis for living. And that was really interesting. Like you get to the end of the film and Fitzgerald tells them like, enjoy your revenge, you know, um, cause there ain't no, there ain't nothing that's going to bring your boy back. Um, and that's when he has his little moment of realization. Um, and so it's, it's interesting um, because on the one hand, this film seems to be making a point about revenge, not being a good reason to be alive or, um, or not being a satisfying thing. Right. Because what is the, the, the comment that his new friend uh, makes is revenge is in the hands of the creator. And that's his ultimate realization. He's like, and he lets him go. And of course, revenge somehow in the creator really quickly. Finds him very fast. By the creator. God works quick in these parts. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Ask and you shall receive. Right. But I will say though, however, Glass's sense of revenge did save Pawaka. Mm-hmm. And therefore it saved his own life at the end, right? Um, because Pawaka is the one that's like, oh yeah, that's the guy that that saved me and uh, brutalized that whole faction of Frenchmen um, or French Canadians, whoever they were. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus here. <laughs> so, but that that kept him alive, um, and revenge also just kept him alive from the start. Like that was his whole point for existing after his son died, um, and it kept him going. You know, it gave him a purpose. And so, as much as I think the the film is trying to make a, a nice statement about the nature of revenge being this thing that you need to let go of at the same time it's also making a much more complicated demonstration of the utility of revenge in all these other ways uh and that that i find interesting or and this is kind of the final question is or did he actually bleed out like the bear um did in the woods uh because his last sight is of his wife walking away from him into the forest. And it feels like that's their comment that he's surviving, right? He's not going with her and therefore he's not joining the dead. And yet there's that little moment at the very final frame where he turns his gaze from her onto us, the viewer. Um, what do y'all think is the statement there? Or is it just artistic woo woo? Um, let's just have a fun, interesting moment. Dude, I think I think it could go both ways, but I also remember that uh that line they keep repeating from the sun or from the flashbacks that says something along the lines of like as long as you have a breath in you, you keep on going or something like that. Yeah, you fight. And then that like when he that when the sun dies, they go to the skies, but we keep hearing him breathe, uh DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. So and then he keeps going and then he, you know, he starts his whole um, I guess revenge process, and now in this one, it kind of ends in that 
sort of way that he breathes into the camera. So in my opinion, he just keeps going and, that, and you know, he continues with life. But yeah, that's all. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I think it to me, it was just a statement more of uh, things are complicated. Mm. You know, nature is complicated. Um, life is complicated. You know, you might ha you might be motivated by revenge and that's what keeps you alive. But in the end, it's not why you should be living. So that's complicated. That's a complicated feeling. It's a complicated emotion. You probably still hate Fitzgerald, even though he's dead, right? Like, and if you if he hadn't been killed, you know, that might still be his motivation, even though it's not now. And so it it's and then it, I mean that's an interesting thought though, that maybe he actually did die and this whole thing is like a like a just a dream almost. But I felt I felt competing feelings the entire time mm -hmm. with the majesty and beauty of nature and the brutality of not just nature, but humanity, but also the, the beautifulness of humanity, because, you know, like there's that one guy that helps him that basically saves his life, you know, like gives him a little bit of food and then, you know, builds the hut for him that he's able to heal because he was, what did he say? He said, your, your body is rotten or something. Yeah. And you have to rest and then he gets killed. Right. So like there's just this dichotomy of, of brutality and, and messy terribleness and beauty all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it makes me feel really, you know, almost like, like I'm warring, you know, with myself watching this movie. And so, I, I mean, that has to be one of my favorite endings to any movie ever. Because of that, because like one, I just, I mean, I need a reprieve here. I need somebody to, you know, when he's sitting and, you know, sorry, I'm all over the place a little bit, but when he's sitting in the bath, when he finally gets back to civilization, he's sitting in the bath and you're thinking, oh my God, thank God he's back. <laughs> and all he wants to do is go back out to get Fitzgerald. Even that little reprieve that I was having for him was so short lived. It was He's he is the one who's taken that away from me. Right. And so I'm I'm like, oh, my God, here we go. We're going back out. OK. Oh, God. And then at, and then at the very end, not only did I not expect him to look at the camera, but it was just a perfect statement of all of this now, like putting it on to me. Right. It, I felt like wow. the his entire weight of existence over the past two and a half hours of watching this movie was thrown on me with the way he looked at me. He looked at me, you know, yeah. like he looked at you. He looked, but he, he, you might, you might think he looked at you, but he looked at me. Yeah. And, right. and that told that it was almost like, what am I going to do now? You know? And I, and that's how I felt, but I'll bet everybody feels something a little bit different. And yes, that's an amazing story from a writer and a director standpoint but my god is acting like yeah. how many actors can look at you and you believe it <laughs> you know whatever it might be uh and so i just felt like a mess of emotion the entire time but it so i don't know what do you think do you think that it was yeah i you know it's funny like i i agree with everything you know you're both saying, and I, I really like the point that you're talking about. Everything is complicated. It is messy. It is both as you know, we've been talking about, right. The, the majesty of nature is also 
uncaring about your feelings. Like, um, it exists outside of morality. And so it's not about any of that. And, and we fit into that. Like we're not extra nature. We're, we're part of this world. Uh, we're, you know, born from this world. And, um, and I think that is also why I find it important that DiCaprio was cast in this role. I think it would be really easy. Like, of course, if, if it's based on a true story, then that's just who he is. Um, but it's, it's, it serves a purpose. I think having a white guy in that role, because in this world, it would be really easy to start thinking about this as, you know, demonizing someone or the other, right? Like this isn't about demonizing white people or uh, colonialism even. Um, it's really just telling a much more complicated story whenever you have someone like this, because, you know, he's riding all sides of the fence. He's not concerned about any of that. And having someone, you know, that is both friend and foe to everyone in this film, right? He's not friend to every Native American tribe, but he's also not enemy to it. He's he's none of that and all of that all at the same time. And I think it's getting at the heart of a, a much more complicated, nuanced story about humanity, uh, about nature, and how you're, I think you're absolutely right. It's not as simple as any of that. And I didn't, I didn't know how to take that last look, but I think I agree with you that it's there to throw it all onto the viewer uh, for sure. The context, the context I wasn't quite sure about. And I think that is the context. It is the context of the messiness of being alive and being part of this world. Um, and it's not something that is cut and dry, no matter where you sit, you know, uh, along the fence. And yeah, so the look is there to just engage you in a way that most $50 million, $100 million movies just aren't going to. And who else can get away with this? Like, it's an art house film. Um, why not go that extra little touch and and engage the viewer in a new way? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I mean, dude, <laughs> it just, it, it's, it was so unexpected. I've seen this movie. Yeah, yeah, right. I've seen this right. movie. I've seen it before, right? And I at the very end, I go, I was watching and I go, yeah. I just like leaned back a second. Like, whoa, that, uh -uh, no, this is you. <laughs> this is not me. Like, like what? Uh, but the, just the decision, I don't know who had the decision. I don't know if it was part of the script or if it was just something that came, they came up with in the moment, but it just felt like almost nothing I'd ever seen in a movie before. And I've seen, I've seen, um, you know, actors breaking the fourth wall mm -hmm. before, like, and, and it were, it, it's worked sometimes and it hasn't worked in other times and stuff. But even the times when it's worked, it is never like landed the way that this did. And I think it's the whole, it might partially be the whole first shot, last shot thing. You know, that opening oh, yeah. shot is incredible. Okay. So how are we going to finish a movie like this? Like what yeah. kind of final shot are we going to leave? You know, what would have been better than that? I don't know, but I don't know where that the impetus came from. I don't know where the idea came from, but it it just felt so incredible. Yeah, he he seems to play with that concept a lot, and I think that's it makes so much more sense in other films because they feel like that's a part of the world that you're building. Oh yeah, and to have that happen in this film, where it's really not. This film is not about breaking the fourth wall. That's it's it. Not, it's not yeah. about engaging the viewer in that on that level. But when you suddenly do it, um, it's like we've been that all that camera work, that unmotivated camera work, suddenly feels like there was a whole person 
in this experience that we never addressed. Um, and now we are, and it was you, um, it ties together in a very unexpected way. Um, whenever you start thinking about the cohesion of every decision that they're making with the cinematography now intruding into the story. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm riveted. I'm fascinated. <laughs> In your E2. Serge, uh, from a sound perspective, I know that you've talked a little bit about it earlier, but do you have any like favorite moments where you where it like jumped out at you as a sound designer where you thought that was incredible that they captured that? Or I know that they didn't capture that on the day. So whoever did Foley for this is like really talented. Like, was there any moment where you you felt that way? I think uh, like scenes, like there's not like specific sounds that I, that I, that grabbed me like, oh, that particular sound was pretty amazing. I think it was just the way they, because also something that is um, hard to do, in my opinion, is to design sounds for a location that is pretty similar throughout the movie. And you don't ever mm. feel like you're in the same space, right? Great point. You know, there is, but it's always mountains and cold. And, you know, from, from this point of view, when you get a movie like that, I'm like, okay, well, how many different mountains and uh, <laughs> cold foresty sounds can you get in there? And they managed to just take you from one scene to the other uh, and you really feel the change. But but yet it's very real. Like it's not it's nothing like out of whack as far as sound goes. So that was really impressive. I think it's a really hard thing to do. And sound effects wise, well, the bear thing it was always like a like you know kind of like an obvious like oh this is very raw and like I could feel every single like clawing and everything. But it was also like uh, his acting and his grunts and everything makes you feel everything. And mostly the opening scene. Like I think that opening scene just. Man, like like that that arrow shot that you were mentioning before, Wes. Like that uh, is when you first hit a big drum hit. That is timed perfectly, and it just takes you and like it really woke me up. And then you start hearing all the battle, and it's just amazing. It's just super immersive. Like I loved all of that. Um, But in general, is the the nature sounds was the most impressive uh, thing for me. How how they just made you truly feel like you're there in a lot of different scenes in a lot of different ways without making it feel like okay here's the same forest all over again or the same wind or the same everything was different uh and somehow real which is yeah quite an achievement there's that shot in that opening sequence where the guy gets his uh head bashed in and by a guy riding on a horse and then we immediately pick up with the horse and once shot, we see this guy at a standstill getting hit and then we're flying with the horse. I was just blown away. I, I have no idea how they did that. I mean, it must have been on some kind of zip line or something. I don't know. But uh, the way they made the camera just whip suddenly so quickly and track perfectly uh, with that horse rider. Uh it it was magic i was like good god man um you're ruining it for the rest of us <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i i uh in that same scene you talk about like the uh the camera forcing us on shots that oh, i don't really want to see that jeez uh there was one shot where I, I i think it was i think it was glass i'm not sure if he's if he's holding hawk or not or whatever but he shoots a guy out of a tree Oh, that's right. And the, that's right. And the camera pans up to the tree and we see this guy get shot and he falls to the ground and we watch all of that happen. 
And I'm just thinking, how how did they? I mean, I know this is movie magic, right. but that w- did not look CG to me. You know what I mean? Like that looked like a real actor. The one that really melted my brain, and this is oh, was the the fingers getting chopped off. Oh um, yeah. Like my heart kind of stopped. I leapt forward. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, because it didn't look like it didn't feel set up. It didn't feel it felt completely accidental. And his reaction to it was even like super honest. And um, I think the tendency of a lot of films is to have them run around screaming in pain. And instead, it's shock. Right. Uh, Fitzgerald picks his hand up and he's just. He doesn't know what to do with like, himself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm going to miss those. Those are my favorite yeah. fingers. <laughs> <laughs> those are my best fingers. <laughs> and it was just the fluidity of that whole little sequence of him wrestling to the ground and then uh, just suddenly kind of grabbing the axe and flinging it a little bit and, and the fingers popping off. And you're just like, wait, what? Um, it's just brilliant filmmaking. And I really like part of me felt like, I think Tom Hardy lost his fingers. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's a that's a great example too because because we're on the camera was on glass. And and you're sitting, you know, he's on the ground and you're like, "Oh, get up, get up, get up." But he doesn't get up. He just swings the axe and and we don't see Tom Hardy over or, or Fitzgerald over there yet. Quite. Like he swings the axe and then the camera goes with the axe and we see what he's chopping, which is fingers, which is even more startling. It's not like we see them both in a two shot or something, or we, we just know, we feel that, that Fitzgerald is over here to the left and then he swings the axe and then we see him. So yeah, it's like startling, like, Oh, his fingers are there. Yeah. And here's the thing is like, it's wide enough that you can see him at the top of the frame, but mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. in this dramatic close up. And yeah. so it's just a, it's a slight tilt so that the the attention is on is going from glass to to fits, and it's just a small flick because the lens is so wide. Suddenly the attention is somewhere else, but because also it's so wide, it's so small in the frame that it just feels like there's nowhere to hide a gimmick. There's nowhere to hide yeah. an effect, and it just it just stole my breath a little bit. And I was like, <laughs> I I'm done. <laughs> like, what did y'all do? <laughs> What did you do, Tom? And what about the what about the scene? We're just going to talk about individual yeah, scenes. Please. What what about the scene where he he wakes up in that small grove of trees, and the and the those um, Indians are coming after him, and he has to run away from them in the on the horse, and he jumps Dude. over the, the and he has ledge. to wake up. He has to wake in, up in in second good on a horse and run. Oh, that scene is amazing, oh, dude! And he gets you. <laughs> and the camera's right next to him, and he's yeah. pushing the horse, and you, they're right on top of him, and they're just yeah. missing him. And then he's you're like, "Where's he gonna go?" And then he jumps over the the cliff. You're thinking, you're thinking, did he just commit suicide? No, <laughs> I mean, like, what else is he gonna do? You know. But still, oh, just yeah. genius all around. Um. Yeah. Okay. Uh, final thoughts, Serge? Uh, no, I think everything has been said, really. Like, it's just, um, it's just again, so immersive, the storytelling, the cinematography, the lighting, sound, like, all of it. It was one of those movies that, going back to the uh, the length, I remember I was listening to one of y'all's podcasts, um, uh, Oppenheimer, mm. and Todd was getting all pissed because like oh people judge by you know by the number by the length just go watch the movie first <laughs> without taking into account the length and then make a decision 
And I was remembering that as I saw this because I like I could go two more hours watching that movie happy. Like it did not feel like two and a half hours to me, and that's just a great sign, I think, um, of how good and immersive it was. Yeah, as as opposed to this, where I'm like, I don't think I have another five minutes in me. <laughs> like it's too real, <laughs> <laughs> too real. But that's what we want, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, like yeah. whether it's whether it's like please end or please don't end. Yeah. Either way, it's a good thing, <laughs> you know. I think. Uh, and with with this movie, I just I felt both. It's the dichotomy of this movie. I felt like, man, I could spend another two hours with Glass. But please, I don't want to spend another five minutes with him at the same time. You know, <laughs> it just felt like that. And then, yeah, I would. I, this movie is so good in all those same ways. And uh, I that we were talking about. And I I just absolutely loved it. I don't think that they make movies like this anymore, at least not right now. They don't. I'm hoping that when the, the strike is over, maybe we can get back to real storytelling that is is passionate like this. Like I could tell we can all tell watching this that this was a this was made out of love i mean i i'm curious as to how much gear was ruined in the mud and the water and yeah you know what i mean i, I was reading on, the, on an interview with the sound mixer the location sound mixer and he was actually from canada and they shot there so he was very well aware of the problems his sound gear would would endure so like he had to like keep battery warmers and all this stuff mm -hmm. and fortunately his gear was okay but he did see a bunch of cameras just or no, i don't know if camera or camera gear in general yeah. uh like having having problems over there because of the cold is just just freeze they would just freeze oh my god i mean can you imagine like i'm just thinking of all the scenes that to shoot can you imagine just being on the set watching the scene where leo is crawling out of the shallow grave not being the not being the cinematographer or the sound guy or even the director, just some a bystander like an like a gr a random grip standing back far watching that performance of him crawling out of that shallow grave. I I, I would have you know had shivers. That m m should have been probably the most visceral moment of my career watching <laughs> that because that it's visceral watching it on a camera, but I can't imagine being there in person. You know, watching that, that had to be amazing. Oh so, anyway. Yeah, I loved it. Um, incredible film. I The cast is so good. Like, of course, all of our attention has been on DiCaprio and Tom Hardy, but Domhnall Gleeson is fantastic. But yes. who I really loved was Will Poulter. He's amazing. Forrest Goodluck. He really brought the, the, the feeling and the texture of someone who is just angry with the world and... The thing is, he needs to bring that in order for us to believe that he's a real threat to Fitzgerald. Because if you have someone who isn't really like giving you everything they got, then you feel like you're just being an idiot. Like, shut up and survive. And instead, he really needs to like convince you that he has to do this. He has to yell. He has to put this guy in his place. This is finally his opportunity um, to, to see some justice done. Um, and that has to come from the performance. Like you can't, there's only so much you can write around that, you know, and he only has a few scenes to really show you that. Um, and so I thought he was just uh, fantastic. The casting here is just a plus plus man. They just are amazing. Yeah. So well done uh, fellas. What, uh, what are we going to recommend this week? Uh, Todd. 
Uh, yeah. So this week I, I was kind of trying to figure out something to, <laughs> I feel like this one is like, I got to kind of recommend some, another survival ish film just because we're on the, the same track, I guess. So I'm going to recommend the road, uh, from 2009, uh, Viggo Mortensen. Love that film and hate it at the same time. It's pretty, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty difficult, uh, film to watch, but it's still in, in incredibly done. So, yeah. uh, recommend the road. Yeah, I could probably watch The Road more times than uh, The Revenant, um, but not any easier for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Serge, you got a recommendation for us this week? I didn't know I had to come prepared with that recommendation. Uh, that take, was, you're putting me on the spot. Take a minute. I will go through mine. And if you have uh, one that springs up in the next, you know, 60 right. seconds. It um, doesn't have to be a movie. It could be like yeah. a book or, or anything. Anything you music. like. I'm going to recommend The Professional. If you want another story with some aspect of revenge, um, that's one of my favorite movies. Uh, I'd love to cover it at some point. It's how we discovered Natalie Portman. Yeah, and Jean, John Reno. Uh, it's fun film from the late 90s, uh, mid 90s, mid 90s, my God. Um, and just great filmmaking, great storytelling, great performances, and and interesting. It's It's one of those... Another one of those, I don't think we make these kinds of films anymore. And I don't know that we ever made those kinds of films, but um, The Professional is weird. Uh, there's definitely some odd elements to it. Uh, yeah, highly recommend. And let's see, Serge, anything? Uh, I was thinking of a TV show, actually, because it's been like, I think they're releasing the new season very soon. Is The Severance on Apple TV. Nice. Uh, is one of my favorite TV shows out there right now. So nice severance on apple tv very cool serge where uh can we find more about you and hear some of your work oh uh i guess my website sergio trejos just first last name.com that's the easiest you're the only one i'm I'm the one dash one one two four six (laughs) (laughs) many sergio trejos out there no i can't i can't i i've worked with serge for many years now and i can say not only is he an incredible sound engineer on set, but he's an incredible sound designer himself, incredible mixer, incredible drummer, actually, if if we are talking about him. And just a great dude to have on set. You know, I know that, Wes, you've worked with Serge as well. And it's, when you're working with Serge, you're not just getting somebody who's just going to stand behind a a piece of recording equipment. You're going to get, like, if you ask an opinion, he'll provide it to you. Or if you ask... if you're hitting a, a snag in something, he'll he'll give you a try to give you a solution. It's like a uh, when you work with him, it's 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 you get all of him. You know what I mean? You get some good advice, you get some good thoughts, you get some good solutions. It's it's really a great partnership, which I think you want. You know, like if you want him to stay quiet in the corner, he'll do that. But if you if you want to get the most out of your people, like you know, he's he's amazing to work with in that respect. Com- I appreciate it. Completely Kinda. agree. Like we had him on set, uh, helping record uh, a couple of days from I Won't Let Me Down. And uh, it was funny. It was just worst conditions possible, right? We're <laughs> in the middle of downtown Austin. Um, and then uh, Sergio like did the mix on it. And it just sounds really good. I mean, it's also the immersive elements that I wanted. And so uh, we didn't fight. It's one of those things where you can fight against it or you can go with it. And we really went with it. 
Um, and Sergio did a great job of making it feel like you're in the city while still being able to hear everything that's happening from our, from your actors and, uh, and, and the story itself, um, and just made it sound amazing. I'm, we'll put links, uh, in the, in the show notes. So y'all can go check them out. If you, seriously, like we have a lot of filmmakers and artists that listen to the show. And, uh, if you're needing someone to do a mix, um, or do some sound design, He's incredible. Um, check out his, his, you know, portfolio and, uh, give him a, give him a shout. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Nice. Stay tuned for next week. We're going to start a little, uh, quick series. I don't know how deep we'll go, um, in, in October. Um, I don't know if I have a lot of, uh, horror stuff in me this year, but, uh, I at least want to do a couple. We'll do a, uh, we'll, we'll look at some ghost movies. Um, and we'll start with the sixth fence. Um, yeah. And so it's it's like about it. time. I feel like that one's been a long time coming. I think so too. Yeah. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, leave us a note. If there's something you want us to cover, let us know. We might just do it. And if you want to comment on this episode, you can do that at thepistolpodcast.com slash the revenant. And our quote of the day is from Francis Bacon. A man that studieth revenge keeps his own wounds green. That's interesting way to interesting way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't if you can't heal and move on, then you won't heal and you certainly won't move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those two things seem to, to tie together. If you're constantly festering over the wrong done to you, then how can you, how can you heal? Like you're just picking at it the whole time. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel about that? I mean, that? it's, it's, it's a, I, I, it is an, it's so crazy. This, the dichotomy of this quote is interesting because it feels very, very like the film because hmm. it's true. However, so I can speak from, and I'm all of us can speak. If someone does something like that to me, wooden to glass, <laughs> damn well better believe I'm surviving to kill them. <laughs> I I don't know what to tell you. I'm going to focus on my on my wounds for long enough to put an axe in your head. You know, like I think I don't know <laughs> if that's what keeps you alive. Yeah. It's literally what kept glass alive. Yeah. You know, maybe you hold on to it long enough to live and then you can make the decision to not. I don't I have no idea, but it's it's hard. I can only imagine. I, I can only imagine, you know, what's but, yeah. your stance on on revenge? <laughs> Sergio. Sergio. Um, he gets it on me it, every day. Well, <laughs> it reminds me of that quote on Toy Story when Buzz Lightyear gets dropped by Woody they're in the car when he finds them. And then obviously Wood is relieved that he's alive because now they can both go back to his house. But then Buzz says uh, something like, hey, just so you know, revenge is not something that we practice in my country or in my planet, but we're not in my planet. <laughs> so he just goes at him and just beats the hell out of him. <laughs> Spoken like a true feel. dad. Yeah. Spoken like they've seen Toy Story way too many damn times. <laughs> I love it. Oh, they don't like it. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. But we're not on my planet. And then he goes after him. I remember yeah. that scene now. That's oh, interesting. Man. <laughs> I'm excited. Now we are going to take a listen to the new track from Todd's band, Mad Valley. Check the show notes for the links. And this one is called Pick Me Up and Take Me Home. Um, we're going to give it a listen. Todd, anything you want to say before we hit play? Um, no. Here we go.
think about the uh harder men make easy times easy times you know that part oh, at the wow. end yeah it's very prevalent for the revenant <laughs> <Yeah>. right <laughs> these are much harder men than i think we have today yeah <laughs> yeah and i love that layer uh because you know you have the whole song that's been going and you have this uh beautiful chorus um and then finding another way to ramp it up um and and add some complexity and and a new melody like it felt like the kind of melody that you could have at any point um throughout the song and to save it because it's so good um really adds this whole other element um i yeah i love it i don't know what to call it i called it a chant but it's like just feels um it sits underneath and yet it it 
lives really loudly. Um, that's always a tricky thing to, to layer vocals like that. Um, so I'm curious, you know, about what the song is about, but also like the thought process of sequencing the way you did. Um, because this is the second week in a row we've played a song where you, you open on, you know, this, uh, digital drum track, uh, that's kind of going and then you just drop in everything all at once. Um, yeah. So, so walk me through it, man. Well, it's about, it's about me trying to wake up my daughter every morning for school. <laughs> And how impossible that is. It, like, that's it. And uh, it's it's really difficult to wake her up. And so I don't know, for some reason, I just, that is what I felt like writing about that day. And so that's how it came out. But it started like that. But then it started turning into um, more of a message to her of, of, hey, you know, like when you get older, like, like, you really need to like, be a part of the world. You know, you need to, to like, uh, the world needs your voice. It mm. needs to know what you have to offer it. Right. Um, it's not, don't just, don't just sit idly by and let the world happen to you um, kind of thing. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's hard for me, you know? Um, and, and to remind myself that like, I can choose how I want to uh, interact with the world. It's not, it's not like a given every day, you know, kind of thing. And so for the, the thing at the end, well, first off, the chorus and the bridge used to be swip, switched. When I originally wrote it, the whole you, you are was the actual chorus instead of um, pick me up instead of that. Uh, and I sent it to Scott and he actually made this. Scott is one of my best friends and he uh, engineered the record. Uh, you guys know Scott. And he's, he suggested to switch them. And I thought, okay, I'll try it. And it totally worked. And I thought, oh yeah, no, that's how it's gotta be. And so and so that's how that turned out. And then the the at the end, the easy men make easy times, easy times make harder men or whatever it is. That whole line, you know, I know it came from a discussion on a Joe Rogan podcast, but I just really identified with it and I also didn't identify with it at the same time. Mm. And so it depended on my mood at the time. Like, do I agree with this? Do I not agree with this? A lot of times I do, but sometimes I don't. That would be an interesting thing to put in there because of that. Because, mm. you know, I'm asking myself these same questions every day, but sometimes they're different answers. And how cool that feels, right? Because it feels like I'm alive and I'm making a decision every single day, even if it's the same one. And and it and also it just kind of like fit in that place to kind of lift that last chorus into something else that we hadn't heard previous and i'm a huge fan of uh block party and they are amazing at doing that i mean if you've ever listened to any song on on weekend in the city you hear that all the time where you hear a chorus and you think oh man that's the top man that's pretty awesome and then you hear it again later and it's there's a there's a whole nother level to it that you could have that could have been played 30 seconds ago or a minute ago but they didn't they saved it for later and i just thought that was a really cool thing so it's cool that you heard that that that's how you thought of it is that wow this could have been played earlier but you saved it that was interesting nice last question um there's that riff from the strings where'd that come from oh yeah so my my um good friend alex navarro who is an amazing pianist um and composer and arranger I played with him in a pop band in LA. That's how I know him. But he lives in Houston now and um, uh, just married um, 
he just got married recently and he, uh, his wife is an oboe player for the symphony. And I met with him, I want to say, uh, last October or September, maybe a year ago now down in Houston, I was there visiting my, my family and I was like, Hey, let's get, let's get some coffee. We just started talking and, and hanging out. And I said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to finish my record. You, you want to come to, if you want to come to Austin and hang out, you're more than welcome to. And then he offered to do some arrangement. And I said, yes, please. Oh my gosh. And he came in that day. It was on his birthday and he came in that day and we had a quartet and his fiance at the time playing oboe and brought all of his arrangements and he did that arrangement came in and just nailed it uh conducted the 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 quartet and everything and it was incredible i guess it was a quintet because there were two horns Mm -hmm. two strings and an oboe oboe's a horn i know but i'm just saying so i guess it was quintet but uh he ran the show and did the arrangements for this song and a few others which i'm sure that we'll get to at some point but yeah alex is incredible um himself so yeah yeah, I just wish you'd kept my tambourine part. Like that was the only thing I felt like could have really. <laughs> oh no, it it's in there. We just turned it way down. <laughs> it's really low in the mix. <laughs> nice, well done, man. Thank you for playing that, Wes, and and for letting this be a uh, a conduit as well. Really appreciate it, Serge. Thank you for joining us, my friend. Yes, it's no. Thank you for having me. I can't this believe it took really fun. I can't a lot of believe fun. it took us 250 episodes to get you on here. Uh, <laughs> wow, 250. Well, this 249. This is episode 249. Congrats. Thanks, man. That's amazing. Uh, it's great to have you on. We want to have you on again soon. So have a sure. the next film in your pocket and uh, uh, come at us with it. But as Wes said, thank you guys for joining us. Please subscribe, review us, share us with your friends. All that helps a ton. Um, And if there's a film that you'd like to hear us uh, pick apart, please let us know and maybe we'll do it. Uh, But until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. And I'm (laughs) Sergio. Go watch some movies. (laughs) 